0: com slash acast. Once again, welcome everyone to reconsider
1: where we don't do the thinking for you. And before we get started, I've got an exciting announcement. We finally have Patreon. What is Patreon, Eric? Oh, great question. So, Patreon is a way that you can contribute uh, to keeping the lights on here at Reconsider. So you can go to Patreon.com/slash reconsider. And what you can do is you can support us by giving a dollar or more per episode that we release. Yeah, I'm a big fan of what I call the Dan Carlin
2: model of giving. Dan Carlin, very very famous, well-known podcaster, does Hardcore History and Common Sense, and his model is a buck a show. That's all we ask. So that's all we're going to ask, a buck a show.
1: We're going to talk again about election stuff today. And one of the reasons that this election, combined with the 2000 election, has people questioning the validity or usefulness of the Electoral College. Twice, the candidate who won the Electoral College lost the popular vote. It probably doesn't help that it was twice a Republican, because I think the Democrats are particularly bitter about it. Clinton beat Trump by over 1.5% of the popular vote, 2.5 million votes as of November 30th. And this possibly could actually grow as they're finishing tallying some of the votes. Now, some people are saying a recount could give Clinton the victory. Uh, You may know that Jill Stein sponsored a recount in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. And it's probably not going to change the outcome. Uh, In Wisconsin and Michigan, Trump snuck by with 0.3% of the vote. But even if both of those flipped to Clinton, she would still need Pennsylvania to win and Trump's lead in Pennsylvania is 1.2%. That's very statistically unlikely to flip, so it's probably not going to make a difference. So Trump is going to end up being president, probably. And a lot of people want the Electoral College to go away because they're saying that the way that it's set up defies the will of the people, and so they think that the president should be elected by a national majority. So To get a sense of whether this is a good idea, how it might work, let's get acquainted with how the Electoral College works, why it's around, and how it could change. So in the Electoral College, there are
2: 538 electors, and they meet whenever they need to elect a president. This year, it's December 19th. These electors are assigned who to vote for by the states based on the popular vote that
1: occurs in that state. Yeah. And there are two exceptions to this, Nebraska and Maine, where they have districts and they assign electors by the popular vote in those districts. Those are not congressional districts. They're bigger than that.
2: This, of course, means that someone could win big in some states while losing by a slim margin in a lot of other states and then still lose the election, which is basically what happened with Clinton. How do they pick the number of electors? I mentioned there are 538. If you're a fan. Of Nate Silversight 538, you may recognize this number. The number of electors is equal to the number of representatives in the House plus the number of senators in the Senate plus three electors for Washington, D.C. because Washington, D.C. actually has no representatives in Congress.
1: Piece of trivia, their license plates have a motto that says taxation without representation. What is that from? I don't know. Probably not important. Probably
2: not important. So this means that small states get a numerical advantage since every state has two senators, no matter what the size. And U.S. representatives in Congress are apportioned proportionally based on the population in each
1: state. So here's what's really interesting. We said that they were the electors were assigned by the state based on the popular vote. Technically... The electors can actually vote however they freaking want. Whoa! It's true. turns out the Constitution actually lets them pick the person that they end up wanting to pick. And over the last few centuries, a few states have created penalties for someone being quote-unquote faithless. A faithless elector being someone who votes against the popular will of that state. Now... How many times has an elector actually been faithless? Turns out it's been 157 total times. Now, if you think we've had 60 or so presidential elections and hundreds of electors each time, up to 538 in the modern age, it turns out 157 is not often at all. Custom in the United States has been that the elector votes the way that the popular vote in their state went, even though they technically have the power to do whatever they want. The way that states punish some electors, there are 29 of them, is by giving them fairly small fines, but it doesn't mean that their vote is invalid. There has never been anywhere close to enough faithless electors to change the outcome of an election. So the presidential candidate that had the most assigned electors at the end of election night has always won the election. But they could technically throw it. And who could they vote for? Turns out anyone. So they all get together on December 19th. They decide who's the president, only if they get to a majority. If they don't get to a majority, that's 270, the top three vote-getters, if there are three, end up going to Congress, and the outgoing Congress ends up picking who the next president is going to be.
2: That doesn't sound very Democratic, democratic, does it? No, it doesn't. We'll get to this. So why even have a system that is this, as many have commented on, this particular presidential race, complex, confusing, intricate? It just, why? Why? Archaic. Archaic. That is the term I have heard as well. I've also heard this narrative. A lot of folks have said something like this, and I've heard it enough. I've never actually read it in like a newspaper article or something like that, but I've heard it from lots and lots of folks. So I have to imagine it's going around. It goes something like this. The reason the Electoral College exists or existed back in the day is because travel times were so long in the original 13 colonies that it would take forever to count up votes and they needed some sort of system to streamline the operations of the election.
1: This is totally not true. Not even close, man. They just made that up, or someone did.
2: You see, the U.S. was formed as a federal republic, not a direct democracy. Mm. So this means that you elect people to make decisions rather than vote to make decisions. And yes, I know, some of the retort that I've gotten from folks when I bring this up is like, yeah, 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 we get that that's how it works in the House, but we have the capabilities to vote more directly for the president. So why can't we do that? Because the Electoral College was set up intentionally. If we look to the Founding Fathers' writings on the Electoral College in the Federalist Papers, which was... A, set, a collection of essays published by James Madison, Alexander Hamilton, and John Jay essentially to convince the colonies that a central federal government was worthwhile. Their intent was actually to prevent democracy from making really bad decisions. What sort of bad decisions? Great question. Well, Madison, as summarized by Alexis de Tocqueville, which I'm definitely mispronouncing, he was a French political philosopher, Madison was worried about factions and a, quote, tyranny of the majority. What is a tyranny of the majority? Well, basically, just because most people want something, that doesn't mean it's a good idea. And this seems—I'm sure you can easily imagine an example of this. And this majority, if they rally around uh, this theoretically bad idea, they could tyrannize the the minority
1: of the country. And we mean many kinds of minorities. Ethnic minorities— religious minorities, political minorities. They could trample on the rights of any of these people if they had unlimited power.
2: They could also trample on a very large minority. In a direct democracy, if you have 50.1% of the vote and you can vote for anything, I mean, in theory, you can vote to just, you know, deport the other 49.9% of the country. In theory, this is what direct democracy means. This sort of system of government would, as Madison said, quote, sacrifice to its ruling passion or interest both the public good and the rights of other citizens. Boom, mic drop. So I imagine you're thinking, deport 49.9% of the population? That seems kind of extreme, man. That democracy sort of, wouldn't do that. That's not what really happens in direct democracies, right? Well, let's talk about what our founding fathers used for historical precedent and examples when they were forming the current structure of our country— the best example of direct democracy that has really ever existed was in Athens. And the way their direct democracy existed is if you were a citizen, which at that time basically meant a land-owning white male. All of these people congregated in a single area, fifteen, twenty thousand 20,000 people, and did a upvote, downvote for a single issue. This single issue could be basically anything. Literally anything. Literally anything. And in the Peloponnesian War, one example that comes to mind that our founding fathers were undoubtedly aware of at the time when they were forming the Federal Republic, was there was a naval battle. We won't get into the details between Athens and someone else involved. Um, I don't remember Sparta or one of Sparta's allies. And Athens lost, and the admirals came back defeated and ashamed, and the direct democracy voted to kill them all as punishment. That'll teach them to lose. Yeah, so they all died— And ah, wouldn't you know, Athens had to fight another naval battle at some point. Oh, oops. And they had no admirals.
1: Did they send Cleon? Yeah, exactly.
2: (laughs) Hey, hey, uh, do do you know how to fight a naval battle? No, you never it before?
1: Mm, Okay, well. I'm imagining Cleon going, I know everything about naval battles. I know more than the admirals about Sparta and the naval battles. Trust me, I can defeat Sparta.
2: Cleon is going to make Athens great again. And if you have no idea what we're talking about, check out episode three on demagogues. Cleon was a demagogue. Anyways, point being, this direct democracy killed all of its admirals and then they got slaughtered in subsequent naval
0: battles because they had no one who knew what they were doing. Yeah, it was bad. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the reward-winning seating,
1: So it was Madison's idea to deal with this problem of a majority tyrannizing others or just making really bad decisions like killing their admirals. Well, he said we should have, quote, a republic, by which I mean a government, in which the scheme of representation takes place, opens a different prospect, and promises the cure for which we are seeking. And so one of the details of this was the Electoral College itself. In the Federalist Papers... Hamilton explains that the intent of the college was to ensure, quote, that the office of the president will never fall to the lot of any man who is not in an eminent degree endowed with the requisite qualifications. And that president would be chosen, quote, by men most capable of analyzing the qualities adapted to the station and acting under circumstances favorable to deliberation and to a judicious combination of, of all the reasons and inducements which were proper to govern their choice, so basically, the people would have some input, but then it would be the electors—these folks who were appointed, you know, who are presumably respected people, appointed, experienced, knew what they were doing—that would actually decide who the president was going to be. And that was the idea. Unfortunately, it never happened. I remember this comic that outlines the problem where. Washington is looking at Jefferson and John Adams, and he says, all right, guys, I'm leaving, but no parties. And then Jefferson and Adams look at each other smiling. Why is this? Because the Founding Fathers didn't want there to be parties or factions in the United States, but of course they ended up forming. It was one of the imperfections of the Constitution. And because these parties formed, what happened was that the parties chose their electors based on the popular vote, and so those electors were loyal to that party. So they always ended up showing up and voting the way that the popular vote went because it allowed that party to pick the electors. And so they never actually ended up deliberating over options. They just rubber stamped the guy that got the popular vote of their state. And so the reason we most people don't even know that the Electoral College can pick who they want is because they've never bothered doing it. And now it's sort of tradition you might say, to just rubber stamp it. So while constitutionally, the college is endowed with the power to pick the president, they never have. It's always been how the people voted state by state. So this is
2: all intentional. This is not some casualty of travel times, right? Eric mentioned there's a small fine if an elector becomes, quote, faithless, decides to vote against the way the popular vote in the state went. And there's really not much punishment if they choose to do this. For example, in Washington state, if an elector votes against the way they're supposed to vote, how much do you think they would be fined? Just as an example, off the top of your head. One million dollars. One hundred billion dollars.
1: That kind of money doesn't even exist.
2: I think we're dating ourselves at this point with that reference, aren't we? Man, yeah. Uh, anyways, it's nowhere close. It's a thousand dollars. That's it. In other states, there aren't any penalties like Georgia and Texas there are no laws fines nothing and others it's between 500 and 1000 and the thing is even with those laws in place no elector has ever been fined before so as fact check points out quote whether those pledges or fines could even be upheld by the supreme court is unclear as the national archives notes no elector has ever been prosecuted for failing to vote as pledged so if you're saying to yourself okay fine. That's what our founding fathers intended, but the Constitution is a living document. We're allowed to change the rules. That's part of the way the game works. You're absolutely correct. So how could we go about changing the way we vote if you think that the Electoral College is improper for whatever reason? And there are good arguments
1: for it, realistically. Definitely. One of them being that the Electoral College has a tradition that in which it no longer does the thing that it was intended to do.
2: Exactly. Now... In order to do that, you would need a constitutional amendment. Boom. 100%. Full stop. So how do you pass a new constitutional amendment? As you might guess, it's hard. And it's hard by design. Mm. We're not supposed to be going around tinkering with laws of our land all willy-nilly.
1: Well, unless you're Thomas Jefferson, at which point you want it to be—you want a uh, constitutional convention to be every 10 years. Oof. I did not know that. But he uh, didn't end up writing the Constitution. That was more Madison. Womp womp. Yep. So
2: you'd have to you'd have to have this constitutional amendment, right? How do you create a new constitutional amendment with a constitutional convention? What is that? It is when a bunch of legislators get together and basically deliberate on a new amendment. And in order for this to happen, in order for a convention to be called, there's one of two ways to do it: either with two thirds of both Congress and Senate voting in favor of a convention, that's one way to call it, or with two-thirds of all state legislatures. So for example, the California Senate, the California Assembly, all 50 states individually, those state legislatures would have to vote. Now, once a constitutional convention is called, everyone deliberates, how do you pass the amendment? Then you need three-fifths of all states To approve the
1: proposed amendment. So that sounds pretty hard, and it is. It's one of the reasons we only have a few dozen amendments, as opposed to some other countries that have literally hundreds. And you might say that there are parts of this that don't work well. There might be things that we want to amend more often. But it's what we got. So let's say we wanted to have a constitutional convention. What options do we have as far as voting schemes to elect the president? other than the Electoral College. You might say, well, it's just the will of the people. But, ah, there are many, many options for us to choose from in order to try to best reflect the will of the people. So one of them is what we typically think of as just a Democratic vote. It's first past the post. You vote once, whoever gets the most votes wins. That's what we have currently. First past the post. Exactly. But you have other options. One of them is that you have a runoff system where what happens is the people who get the who place first and second in the popular vote, end up having a runoff where they run against each other. France has this, and so do a number of other countries. A bit of a stretch for the United States would be switching to a parliamentary system entirely in which the government is led by the prime minister who is chosen by the party, and whatever party has a majority puts its prime minister in power, there's various sorts of parliamentary systems, probably not going to have one in the United States. The other option is an instant runoff or single transferable vote or ranked choice vote in which you rank your options one to N, being N being the number on the ballot, and via a mechanism that we can link you to in the podcast notes at reconsidermedia.com slash podcast, what it does is it knocks off the candidates with the least votes until you get one that has a majority. There are some countries that do this, Australia, Ireland, and Malta. So you could pick any of those, but it's not going to happen this year. This year, it's going to the Electoral College, who meets on December 19th. And what could they do? How can this play out?
2: What are, what are the different ways that the Electoral College can actually vote this year? Well, the first is they could elect Trump as the, they elect Trump since Trump got the most electoral votes assigned to him. That would be the straightforward outcome. Two, the electors could go faithless and say, meh, you know what, I don't like this Trump guy. I'm going to vote for Clinton. And they could elect Clinton. That's it. Clinton president. Additionally, there is a third outcome, which is a little bit more complicated. They can cast enough votes for a third candidate such that neither uh, Clinton nor Trump get a majority of votes. If neither Trump or Clinton get a majority of votes, then Congress gets to decide who's president.
1: Between those top three vote-getters. So if you had a number of people defecting away from Trump to a third candidate, those three candidates, Trump, Clinton, and the third, would end up going to Congress to be elected. And they can do that for literally anyone that fits the constitutional requirements to be president.
2: Right. So whoever gets enough electoral votes by the Electoral College to be this third candidate, Congress would have to select from those three. Anyone could be that third candidate. And it, it can literally be anyone. It's not a nomination process. It doesn't go through the primaries. It doesn't go through the parties. That's it. It can be anyone. So there are calls for electors to defect, to become faithless, and vote for Clinton because she got the popular vote. This seems unlikely since a lot of electors for Trump are picked by the Republican Party, and they they really don't like Hillary Clinton. The thing is, a lot of them don't really like Trump either. He hasn't really been much of a Republican until very recently. So... They could potentially vote for this third candidate. So who else could this third candidate be? Well, so far, there are two electors, two people who are electors, who are campaigning to encourage other electors to vote for Mitt Romney or John Kasich. So one of those two people could potentially be this third candidate. Now, these electors are Democrats, which is important to note, and they are attempting to recruit Republicans who, in theory, would vote for Trump. If this group can get 38 electoral votes, then nobody wins the electoral election, and it goes to the current Congress, so not the Congress that will be incoming in 2017. At that point, Congress picks the president, and you may get some Republicans and Democrats teaming up to elect this, what would likely be a Republican compromise candidate. And some rumors, like I said, have been Romney or Kasich.
1: It would be definitely the weirdest presidential election in US history, but hey man, 2016 has been a crazy year. So anything could happen at this point. The reason we want to talk about the Electoral College with you guys today was we think a lot of people have misconceptions about how the Electoral College works, how it was designed, why it was designed that way, and in particular, how the US was designed to be more of a republic than a democracy. As we learn more about the Electoral College and some of the other options we have and how to get them, one of the things we can reconsider is what kind of voting system do we actually want and why? There's more options than just keep things the way they are or switch to a national first past the post system. There's a lot of options out there and a lot to think about. Now, before we go,
2: I just want to remind everyone, Reconsider is on all of your favorite social media platforms at reconsider pod for both Facebook and Twitter reconsider pod if you're interested in any of the show notes the links that we talk about in these shows we include them all on our show notes so every piece of information every article that we use to put together these shows we make them all available so you can know where we're getting our information that's available at reconsidermedia.com/podcast additionally If you have 30 seconds, we would uh, be very appreciative if you would leave a quick review on whatever podcatcher you happen to use, whether that's iTunes, whether that's Overcast, whether that's Acast. That really helps us get our podcast up in the rankings, get our message out to more folks. Also, give us your money. Ah, Patreon. That's right. We have Patreon. As you may know, we put a good amount of effort into these shows because we want to make sure that we're getting the best possible information that we can to you. Uh, We put in several hours of research for each show, and the Dan Carlin model is a buck a show.
1: That's all we ask. So as always, remember, don't let the pundits do the thinking for you. Pause and reconsider. This is Eric signing off. This is Xander signing off.